morning, good evening, wherever you may be, and welcome to Stories from the Vortex. I'm Matthew Kressel, and I'm lucky enough to be joined, as always, by the one and only Mary Lane. Hello. And I'm also joined by the man from the land down under, the sometimes insufferable Robert Haynes. Death to the Daleks! <laughs> Uh-oh, you don't know what you just set off there, Robert. <laughs> no ideas. Uh, well, as you may have guessed from Robert saying that, this episode, we're going to be looking at Big Finish's very first Doctor Who spinoff series from 2001, the first mm. season of Dalek Empire. I remember what it was like before the Daleks came to Vega 6. The air was always fresh. The suns were always high in the sky. The water and the marsh lakes, always a sparkling blue. Mm. That's the way I remember it. Dalek Empire, an adventure on four CDs. All conquered planets will be exploited for their technological and industrial resources. Part 1, Invasion of the Daleks, available now. I don't want to die. You know that. I know you know that. Look, let's stop pretending. So, all right, I'll do your dirty work for you. I'll do it. I'll do it, all right? Just leave me alone. Part two, The Human Factor, available now. The invasion of the Daleks has begun! Well, the first episode of this was released in June 2001, and it was released bi-monthly from then until December. And being Big Finish's first spin-off series, it's a rather impressive piece of work. But in a way, I think it suffers from the fact, as Mary, you and I were talking about before we started recording, that we listened to Cyberman, the first season of which, quite a while back. Mm -hmm. I think we reviewed it in late 2014. And the thing that Robert, you had made the comment on, because he listened to this first season here first, mm -hmm. uh, before listening to Cyberman. And Robert, your comment was, as indeed some of the reviewers in 2005 when Cyberman came out said, that Cyberman was little more than Dalek Empire done with mm -hmm. Cybermen. And mm -hmm. Mary, you and I said that we felt that Dalek Empire was Cyberman done with the Daleks. <laughs> um, and I think that it's important to kind of keep a note that, yes, both of these were written by Nicholas Briggs. But I entirely, feel entirely written by Nicholas Briggs mm -hmm. and produced by Nicholas Briggs and directed by Nicholas and Briggs. starring Nicholas Briggs. <laughs> yes, Nicholas Briggs being one of the voice actors. Yes. Yes. Well, it's got the Daleks in it, so it would be. But that isn't, I think, to downgrade it at all because I have to say it's having heard, even having heard Cyberman first, I was very impressed by listening to this first season. It is a big epic tale. Mm -hmm literally galaxy spanning and crossing i'm guessing at least the better part of a decade based on yes, yes. the narration in here mm -hmm. so it's it's big finishes first spin-off series but my god they, they hit it out of the park first time around yeah it's a very it's very dense it's very complex um i know that there are two of the episodes i had to listen to a second time just to get everything that was going on because there's so 
many locations in which so many things are happening that I would mm. find myself, okay, who is this and where are they? <laughs> which two episodes? Uh, episode two and episode four. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's interesting for me about it is the way it's constructed because it's very, you're talking about, it's very dense, mm -hmm. but also you do have this kind of narrator who's kind of present throughout the first three chapters, especially. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there going, well, who is this person? And yes. how does they know all this? Yeah, you think it's one person in the, or at least I thought it was one of the characters in the episode, and then it turned out to be someone else entirely. Yes. yes. <laughs> which is which is very interesting. And Robert, you were talking about the fact that it does have a very Blake 7 feel to it. Yes. It, yes. It's, and it's interesting that, of course, Blake 7 is created by Terry Nation. So I and think Nicholas Briggs gonna... and Nicholas Briggs tends to do a, a very uh, Terry Nation style thing as well. With, yeah, with which, most things. <laughs> what what you know what I find interesting is Mary, you and I reviewed uh, Nation's own pilot script for a Dalek spinoff series mm -hmm. that he wrote back in the nineteen sixties, The Destroyers, and The Destroyers couldn't be more different from what Nicholas Briggs created almost a full half century later. Mm -hmm. Because it's very, that's, the story is very much an action adventure, mm -hmm. serial kind of thing. And it's really a, it's more build up for a series that never actually happens than anything else. And I find it interesting that Nick Briggs, somebody who's, I guess, technically an outsider, is able to come in and I think has a better idea of what you can do with the Daleks in their own series than perhaps mm -hmm. their own creator did. That's true. Well, the comparisons to um, the Cybermen are definitely there, um, except... I feel like since this is the first spinoff, um, this one like just took off the ground running and they, it's kind of like Big Finish trying to show their chops, which with how they can do an original piece. Whereas yeah. with yes. Cybermen, I felt that started off slower, more gentle. True, yes. Yeah, and then it built. Um, this one starts right off being very exciting and very involving. Um, so it, yeah, you're checked in the middle of an invasion, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, so although there are definite, you know, comparisons in which they seem the same, um, I'd say the energy of the two are very different. Mm. Yeah. There, I think there's a more thoughtful approach to Cyberman. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think Cyberman is far more driven by monologues and narration and characters' inner thoughts, mm -hmm. while mm. also being this big, giant semi-political thriller with with the cybermen this one on the other hand is just a full-on it's a it's a world war ii resistance story in space yeah. is what <laughs> yes yeah. Yeah. Cybermen yeah. is kind of a social commentary too whereas this this doesn't bother with any of that yeah i mean this is uh, in some ways a logical extension if you think about dalek invasion of earth yeah yep, exactly which is very yeah. which is very much a german nazi invasion yes. of britain yep. story you even got the Daleks so, saluting doing the Hail Hitler. <laughs> yeah, and that's very much the case uh, here as well. You have the mining, you have resistance groups, you have collaborations, you have whistlings, you have, but even with the people who, who appear to be collaborating, mm -hmm. the exact mm -hmm. motives of the people who are involved yeah. is always suspect. Mm -hmm. And not everyone is what they appear. Mm. Uh, but it also, but it's able in that regard, I think, to explore some very interesting territory. The Susan Mendez character, for example, yeah. 
played by Sarah Mullen. I mean, that is a, a remarkable character. Mm-hmm. If she plays, well she plays portrayed. it on the edge. You're you're never yeah. sure whose side she's really on. Exactly. Yeah. She seems to be supporting the human side, but she's being mm-hmm. so rewarded on the Dalek side for her acts yes. that yeah. you begin to wonder: Well, is she willing to give this up in order to to really support the humans? What is you know in the in the final moment? What is she going to choose? Yeah. yeah, and considering she kept that up for so long during uh, a lot of the stories as well, you know, you, you don't know which way she is going to end up. Right. Because right. and they just, yeah. I just you know kept it up, didn't it, for so long? What I what struck me when I listened to this for the first time back in December was uh, the second episode where she meets this goes off on her own initiative with Kalendor to go mm. visit. I think it's Morabi who's led the successful insurrection against the Daleks on this moon, if memory serves. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're right. And she basically shows up and says, do you realize how stupid you've been? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of it, having led the listener to believe that she's going to broker a deal to save, his, to save the lives of him and his resistance people, and then the Daleks show up, and it's just kind of like, what? Oh, yeah, total betrayal there. Total betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Complete total and utter, and it reminds me of moments out of these World War II resistance films where mm-hmm. you have the figure of authority going in saying, I will do my best to save your lives, walks out to the Nazis, tells them where they are, and the Nazis end up shooting them. All. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and also the fact that there's a sense uh, of her character in that by trying to, not as, I don't even know if you can, what her motives are throughout all of this, and I think that that's mm-hmm. what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. You don't know where she stands. And that voice that comes in and narrates periodically, you think, oh, maybe this is that other side of her. (laughs) Yeah. It isn't, you know. (laughs) Right. But it's also that in some sense, in that by doing what she's doing, she basically sacrifices herself for the greater good. She loses her soul in a way. Exactly. Yeah. But does she care? (laughs) But does she care, you know? It's sort of the, mm-hmm. the question, the old, the, it's one of the oldest questions of government, really, you know, does, does the needs of, the, you know, does the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, to quote that other famous. Uh, <laughs> but I think that, but that is a question, the moral question that runs throughout mm-hmm. the fourth district of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and besides the Mendes character, um, the is it Marin, Marion, that comes in that, uh, I could have sworn when I first heard that voice, I thought, oh my gosh, this is Chase Masterson. Um, she sounds yes, like her. Yes, I thought that too. Yeah, for the longest time. And then I had to look it up and find out, well, no, it's not her. But oh my goodness, she sure sounds like her. But anyway, the character <laughs> too is one that you have a hard time deciding, you know, is this a supportive character or, you know, where did she come from and what is she up to? And they drag her story out for quite a while well i mean everybody's motives yeah. are suspect in this um oh, no, no. Dorf seems pretty Kallendorf's, yeah he's decided, yeah. yeah we know what he wants well, to see happen and albie the love interest of susan a uh, sort yes <laughs> across the galaxy um yes. you know his motivations yes but i mean you do get people like tan lee who's yeah uh, Abby Brooks Fox, who's once again played by Nicholas Briggs under another name. Yeah. 
his motives are suspect throughout all of this. Uh, what the Daleks are up to, for that matter, is suspect throughout all of this. Yeah. The Daleks are characters. They really are. Yeah. That is a yes. that is a mind-boggling thing to say, uh-huh. given the uh-huh. the preconceptions and the cliches of the Daleks, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know Terry Nation himself said when asked, "Why did you create Davros?" You can't have interesting conversations between Daleks. Oh, but that's not true. Um, <clears throat> that is definitely not true. And but you know it, what I think you know, helped was it was having Alistair Locke do Dalek voices as well. I think yes, rather than just Nick Briggs. Right, right. I agree. I agree. I was a very appreciative. You could tell the um, Dalek Emperor right off. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because it was a totally different voice. Yeah, but still Dalek. Mm. Well, it was, I think, the first... Well, no, Briggs had done the Dalek Emperor in Genocide Machine mm-hmm. before this. And for a long time... I think this was before Alistair Locke had his had a, his initial falling out with Big Finish over Neverland, I think it was, and the sound design on that. So mm-hmm. Alistair Locke was really heavily involved in the, in the early years of Big mm-hmm. Finish. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, listening to this, and the fact you can tell the slight differences between him and Nick Briggs, and of course this is Nick Briggs' early days as well, mm-hmm. yes, so yes. Briggs hasn't, I think, quite reached the point he is at now, where he could voice every single Dalek in an episode or in a script. Uh, and they so recognizable, though. <laughs> yes. But back and to, back to your to point, Matt, you, about the, um, the personalities uh, of the Daleks, I was impressed at how it portrays the scheming of the Daleks, mm-hmm. that they very yes. complex scheming because the humans are left to guess, um, you know, gee, are they trusting us now? Because look at how few of them there are, you know, and yeah. so because they comment on how few there are or what the Daleks are doing, you too begin to wonder like, ooh, what is the overall scheme? <laughs> mm. I thought that, yeah, that was a point that kept me listening, uh, you know, this constant guessing because of um, the way the Daleks were. Unlike, you know, say, most of the stories you get nowadays or in the past of, you know, the Daleks are bad, they're just going to do yeah, they're pretty bad things. Bad. This was, you just sort of guessing throughout this entire thing. What's, what are they doing? You know, yeah. Why are they after Susan Mendes kind of thing? They, you know, this that mystery. Yeah. Are they really leaving her alone or in what way? Yes. Keeping yeah. on her? Yeah. I mean, For me, mm-hmm. the Daleks are always at their most interesting when they are portrayed as these malevolent scheming creatures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily as the sort of armored balls balls of hate inside tanks. Yeah, rather than yeah. 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 Yeah, rather than I'm just um, the baddie of the way kind of thing. Right. They're not um, which is some which is why I, I love stories like The Power of the Daleks and the Evil of the Daleks oh, yes, as much yes. as I do. Um, yeah. because David Whitaker, when he wrote those, wrote them as scheming, malevolent we will bide our time. Uh, the, the great mm-hmm. line from Power of the Daleks about we are not ready yet to teach these human beings the law of the Daleks mm. kind of thing. And that is all. That is the case here. That's how Nick Briggs writes them here. That's how he portrays them. Him and Alistair Locke both portray them here. And that you get the sense, especially as uh, when you hit discs three and four, that the Daleks are playing a very long game here. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that a very respects, long game. Yeah, and that in some respects, what happens in the short term doesn't matter to them. It's the old adage of, you know, sure, we lose, we lost the battle, but we're going to win the war anyway. Yes. This is kind of a change of topic here, but um, something that keeps the, driving this thing along 
is a soundtrack that isn't really music. Mm. It's music type sounds behind what's going on, but it, yeah. there's no melody. It's just, I mean, you can't put mm. your finger on it, you know, is, is mm. this a melody or isn't? But so true to, to a mechanized world. You wouldn't have yes. anything beautiful like melody in a mechanized mm. world. But and once again, Nicholas Briggs doing the music. Oh, did he do the music I mean, too? <laughs> yeah, this, this was like this was Nicholas Briggs has described this in the past as his concept album. <laughs> wow. Um, and very, and I think that's not an exaggeration when you realize, as we talked about earlier, he wrote it, he directed it, he produced it, he did the voice, he acts in it, he even does the music for it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but having listened to Cyberman, the well, I'm two and a half stories through it. It is one thing that I found was the music was very intrusive in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, this shows a lot more restraint than, as Mary says, it's the, the way it is is just you know, fitting this. Whereas the music on Sideman I thought was just so intrusive and too a bit too much there. Mm-hmm. So I think they got it right on right here. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what I was struck by when listening to this is that it was really going back. I mean, if you think back to the earliest days of the show, the Hartnell era. Mm. There was a lot of times when they didn't use music. They used sound yep. effects. Mm. Yep. The, the, the famous Howling Wind of Scarrow, for mm. example, mm. that's yes. used throughout that first Dalek story. Mm. As the sense, as, as Mary, you were saying, these things that aren't quite music, there's music qualities to them, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have a melody or anything that we would, that really makes it stand out as music. Right. It's a lot mm. of what they, a lot of the early radiophonic workshop stuff, for that matter. Yes. Was as well. So it's, I think it's very much the idea. Full out, I think Nicholas Briggs is doing this, if you view this as Nicholas Briggs' concept album, it's about taking everything back to its roots. It's about taking the Daleks back to their roots. And also, mm. the fact of the matter is that, as Robert, as you were saying in Doctor Who, they often became just the baddie of the week. Mm. Mm. And there was really a point by the time Terry Nation finished writing for them that I think he just viewed them as as robots, which is interesting because, of course, he's made a yeah. point at the beginning of making sure that they weren't robots. Mm-hmm. There was a line in the, in this uh, series about that too, where, and this is either just robots on wheels or something like that. I can't remember what it exactly said. Machines on wheels or whatever, which isn't true. But I think it's, <laughs> yeah, it's taking everything back to its roots is what this is. But it's also, I think Briggs has said in uh, the new audio adventures, The Inside Story, that one of the real reasons for doing this wasn't just that he loved the Daleks and the fact that by doing their first spinoff series is something about the Daleks, it might sell. But it was also the fact that, as I was talking about earlier, that there were all these cliches and all of these things that kind of go around the Daleks. In fact, it had become the cliche of the series of Daleks going around going, we will exterminate you, we will exterminate you. It's not actually doing anything. (laughs) And I think, as he said, that one of the reasons for doing this was actually saying, hey, the Daleks are a threat. Because mm-hmm. the problem with Daleks and Doctor Who is, of course, they can't kill the Doctor. Well, mm-hmm. they've tried a couple yeah. of times. Mm-hmm. That they ever, they can't really ever do that. So let's put them into a story and into a world where they can actually do that. Yes. Let's actually show what the Daleks do when the Doctor isn't around to beat them. Mm-hmm. And the answer is, is that they're probably going to win and you're going to be in for a very bleak and dark and depressing existence. Yeah. You brought out something interesting there, uh, Matthew, because one thing that I'm sitting there listening to it, you were thinking, well, if this is the same world as Doctor Who, you think the Doctor would have come along by now and helped them out? <laughs> you there's, know, considering what's going a, on. <laughs> yeah, 
There's an interesting answer to that equation, to that question, and it's something called Return of the Daleks. It was a I uh, have subscriber yeah. special um, yep. that I actually I need to go back and listen to because I listened to it a very long time ago before I heard Dalek Empire, and I did not understand it at all. It made no sense to me, and I was really kind of disappointed in it, even more so because it has Sylvester McCoy in it, mm-hmm. uh, who's my favorite doctor. But I've been now that you've mentioned that, Robert, it is something I want to go back and listen to because I think it's I actually. I might listen set. to it again too. Yeah, it's actually set, as I understand it, during portions of some of the, in inverted commas, off screen, I guess off mic in, in the audio vernacular portions of this first season. Mm. And actually exploring where is the doctor during all of this? Why is he not showing up to defeat their plan? But I have to say, I, yes, it does. It has both yeah, Susan Mendez and Eleanor yes. in it. Yeah. So that's why I've heard them before. I couldn't remember I had heard them before. <laughs> yeah, but they're both in it. It's kind of a sidestep from the larger Dalek Empire series. Mm-hmm. But I think by making the decision not to put the Doctor in this at all, and he's not even referenced for that matter, no. I think it's a better piece of work for it because it means, yeah. because I think what often happens... Don't know what, you yeah. Up, yeah, you don't know, you don't know what you're in for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You, you, you pulled the safety net out. Yeah, as you say, you pulled the safety net out from underneath yes. everyone. Yeah. I think it makes it even better because of that. Well, in spite of the fact that this is well done, it's a very good piece. Oh, yeah. And at first, I had to push myself to keep listening to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now that I have done the four episodes um you know i feel hooked into okay now i want to know what happens um mm. so i'm going to be probably wanting to listen to the whole rest of the series yeah that's what i found too um but yeah one thing that i think did help was that mystery throughout it but also mm-hmm. um project infinity mm-hmm. yes unlike and and that character of albie um because he was a he had a bit of a jokey sort of way about him, and I, I like the way he got out of scrapes. Whereas something like Listen to Cyberman, that just seems totally grim. There's no characters that are light-hearted or give you any sort of release. So that's, mm-hmm. I think I like this part about Dalek Empire, mm-hmm. the mystery and, and having Albie in it, things like that. Well, but the Albie character <laughs> follows in this kind of tradition of the cynical, world-weary, secret agent type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is who, who factors into a lot of these World War II espionage stories and films, mm-hmm. which is, I think, what this is really kind of drawing from. In a way, I mean, it's well, the logical character, you know, the RAF pilot, you know, who who yes. the rules and you know does things yeah. his way and somehow succeeds, and you know, <laughs> and he's always got that uh, sarcastic attitude. Yes. And uh, I, I like the computer as well on his uh, on his ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, those those type of lighthearted things I thought really helped, you know, the series. Otherwise, it's just unremittingly grim. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, this world has fallen, etc. Then people have been exterminated left, right, and center. Yeah, every time it looks like someone's going to get away with something, you know, they're squashed like a bug. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I like interesting things like. You know, you think, oh, the Daleks are giving up now. They're going away kind of thing. Oh, the, the humans have won. And, 
and no, it's because they got some plan. Yeah. And yes. I love that sort of bit, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, adds to making the Daleks a, a genuine scheming sort of lot rather than just, oh, we're just going to exterminate because that's what Daleks yeah. do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also the fact that you have to fill four CDs worth of material instead of yeah. two for that matter. And mm-hmm. you get more space. I mean, that's one of the great things about the spinoff series is that a lot of people look at them and go, well, that's an unnecessary addition. But you should point them to things like this first season of Dalek Empire, or indeed yeah. Cyberman, yeah. and go, no, this is what you can do when you take the Doctor out of the equation and you put these villains into their own series. Mm-hmm. And you give them an opportunity to go and actually do what they're capable of doing without having the Doctor, who in some respects you could argue is a, is a bit of a dos ex machina, Mm. Uh, showing up and defeating their plans all the time. Mm. And as we spoke, the we realize these Daleks are playing a long game. There is a plan. Mm-hmm. There is yeah. a future for them, um, which puts to shame then the what Missy in the most recent series said to them. What are you going to do once you've exterminated everything? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. left? <laughs> Well, that's a plot point as well. well we're going to contact, yeah, we're going to con- what's left, they're going to contact uh, get other universes, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. them. <laughs> well, it's the idea that Rob Sherman explores at the end of Jubilee when it's Colin Baker talking to the lone Dalek at the end of that. and goes, well, what are you going to do when you've managed, when all the Daleks, have, when the Daleks have conquered everything? You're going to turn it on yourselves and you're going to destroy yourselves. All mm. that's going to be left is one Dalek who's going to be driven absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I like that the idea is, is that the Daleks of, of our universe, having realized that they may not quite be the all-conquering powerful force that they should be, mm-hmm. decides that the best solution is to find a universe where the Daleks have in fact conquered that, have managed to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. But what I love is, is that in the last mm-hmm. 30 seconds oh, of yes. this, is that having gone through all that trouble, things don't quite go the way the Daleks are expected, <laughs> nor the way that Frankly, I was expecting them to go. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it makes so it, it ends, more, even more interesting because of that. <laughs> yeah, and it ends it on a great old whopping cliffhanger as a mm-hmm. result. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> and knowing that there's yeah, more episodes to go, you know, I'm going to do this. So, but, so know, good job, Nick Briggs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, yeah, one thing. Years, was, 15 years late, but Nick Briggs yeah, this, good job. Yeah. That's what <laughs> I was struck by listening to it, I had no idea when this was released. I, I didn't bother checking. So when I listened to it, I think I'm thinking, oh, this sounds like yeah, you know, they've been doing it for quite a few years now. Mm-hmm. And then when I actually looked and thought, what? 2001? They're actually doing that, yeah, you know, a couple of years after they'd started. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was excellent. So yeah, very very impressed. I'm always struck by when listening, going back and listening to some of the early stuff. And you're blown away by the fact that these days they'll take year, so uh, somewhere it's upwards of a year or two to put something out to go play mm, with the sound mm. design and everything else. Mm. And you realize that something like this was put together in a few months, or something like Sympathy for the Devil was put together yeah. in about three or four months. And mm. you're like, wow. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, very That's, enjoyed it. Of course, they weren't being pulled in so many directions then like they are now. That <laughs> is very true as, as well. Or, having to deal with some of the scheduling issues that they now have to deal mm, with mm. that they are doing 
quite mm-hmm. so much. And everybody they tend to want to work with now tends to be busy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Ruth Bradley, we're talking about you for one. <laughs> or David Tennant and Catherine Tate, because I know Nick and Jason talking in Chicago mm-hmm. said that they had been planning that series of stories, those three stories, for something like a year before they actually recorded them. And it mm-hmm. only happened because Georgia Moffat gave birth a week ahead of time. And uh-huh. Tennant was sitting back in the UK for a week with nothing to do. So Big Finish managed to drag him and Catherine Tate to the studio at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, I can imagine with as many things that they're putting out that the projects yeah. are probably stacking up in the sound design studio, you know, so they're not getting to them right away. But yeah. they do tend to, they do tend to, um, I think, spread themselves a bit thin sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they, they use a pretty stock core of writers, mm-hmm. uh, especially with certain projects. And, you know, I often think when they keep on adding ranges, Vienna, you know, a recent addition, uh, what, what are other ones you can think of? But in Terror Hawks, they added that. You know, that's something that they've got to do. And we're seeing uh, the same, you know, sound design and music composers yeah. and that. Yeah. So. so there wasn't that kind of thing back then. They, they were more, uh, I guess, keen. They were a little freer because they weren't <laughs> involved with so many projects. Yeah. yeah so but also, there's also the fact that this was the first one out of the stable, as it were. I mean, there was, I think, a real genuine feel that they had to get this one right. And it had to mm-hmm. be good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Nick Briggs, yeah, and they did. And Nick Briggs, they used mm-hmm. Alec Aficionado. And because he wasn't, you know, the executive producer of Big Finish and doing mm-hmm. 500 different projects mm-hmm. at once, was able to put a lot of time, effort, and attention mm-hmm. into yeah. literally every aspect of the production of this. Right. And it shows. Mm-hmm. My God, it shows. Yeah. Well, it seems like we all really like this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to the next one now. <laughs> I feel committed now, you know. <laughs> There's series that I kind of reluctantly start, and then then I'm hooked. I got to hear the rest of the series. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess sometimes, because you know, I'm trying to work my way through through the ranges, and um, this was something that I I kept on putting off because I think, oh, no, I want to finish this first. Uh, there's so many monthlies I've got to listen to. Right. Um, it's like so, a commitment. <laughs> Yeah, so I think, oh, then I've got four stories. But I think, you know, when they come to the hour mark for a story, I think it makes for a quick kind of listen. So you can get through four discs, okay. Yeah. Well, all of these are about 70, 75 minutes apiece, which is mm. quite reasonable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Rather than, you know, two disc story that's two hours plus. <laughs> so, yeah, it makes for an easy listen. But, yeah, as, as we said, yeah, quite a grim sort of story uh but you know once you start listening you know you can get hooked and think what's going to happen next right but yeah but yeah very big blake seven kind of feel for me especially as they got blake actually voicing calendar so yes. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so that's well, the kind funny of ironic. thing is talked a lot about nick Grace. we have not talked about the, the cast at large in this mm-hmm. um and the cast is very good. The funny thing is, is that a lot of these same people show up in Cyberman as well, particularly mm. uh, Sarah Bowett and uh, Mark McDonald, who plays uh, Abby Brooke, uh, mm. plays the sort of love interest character to Sarah Bowett mm. in uh, Cyberman as well. Mm. And of course, Garrett Thomas. And it has to be said that the cast across all of these is fantastic. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, I sort of never get, I sort of never got the feeling. Whereas some that I listen to, I think their voices sort of like sound the same. Whereas this, you know, you know who character, each character is from their voice. Uh, so I think that's something that when you're casting a um, uh, an audio adventure, it's good to have differentiation between voices. Otherwise, you think, oh, which character is that now speaking? Because <laughs> well, I did that when um, Nick Briggs was directing this, that he originally had um, Mark McDonald uh, do go against his his natural Irish accent and do mm, you know mm, regular middle class mm. uh, British accent, but then he yes. said so much like the others in the cast that you, there wasn't enough differentiation. So just as an experiment, he had him read his lines with his natural Irish accent. And he liked it so much that that's what they kept. <laughs> yes. And it suited yeah, that character wonderfully. And also, it suits the character wonderfully, but also given that everybody in this tends to have a fairly standard, what at least what, I guess what we Americans would consider standard British accent, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it mm. helps it stand out. Mm. It, adds, it adds variety, which is something mm. that when, you have an audio drama, you know, you have nothing but voices, but also you have a large cast, right. as mm. this does. It's incredibly important to have that variety, if only so you know who's actually talking. But, yeah, one one thing that I did think was listening to Gareth Thomas is how much more he sounds like Blake in this. His voice isn't, uh, you know, as we listen to the Blake Sevens now, one thing that I've always complained about. Well, it's just a few. Which, you know, nothing they, they can do is his voice is a lot younger. Or sounding a lot younger, uh -huh. and I would have loved if they could have done the Blake Seven ones back then when he was sounding more like this. <laughs> but that's a side point. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, I I listened to an interview. I found somewhere online somebody had posted, I think from a PBS thing, an mm. interview of Gareth Thomas from I think the early nineties. And the thing is, he already sounded older, and it was only ten years on. <laughs> yeah, from when yeah. he done it. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe he gone off and done something else and his voice had gotten deeper as a result. Or maybe he's a smoker. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was wondering too. <laughs> to his voice pretty quickly. Mm. Mm. Well, a lot of British actors tend to be. Uh -huh. so, well, I think a, I think a lot of actors tend to be anyway, which is why which is why you notice there aren't so many deep, grovelly voices anymore, like you used yeah, to Yeah, Valentine Donald. <laughs> yes. So, Dalek Empire, season one. Go give it a listen. I've... Yes, and only $5 download as well. Yes, yeah. they are very reasonably priced. Even the CDs are only about 10 bucks, including shipping yeah, that's true, right here yeah. in the United States. So, I mean, you could do the entire... Actually, I think it's um, less than that if you buy them as a bundle. So, well worth, giving, well worth giving the whole series a listen. And I have a feeling we'll be coming back to the second season of this in the not-too-distant future from the sounds of things. Yeah, I did want to ask, Matthew... Uh, I know they were re-releasing the Cybermen box sets with um, extras and that. Are they doing the same with the Dark Empire ones? I haven't heard anything. I think that the reason they did it with Cyberman was because when the second season of Cyberman was released, it was done as a, it was, I think, the first Big Finish spinoff that was released specifically as a box set in box set only. Okay. Um, yeah. And it was it was done in this special packaging and it was expensive mm. so mm. that when the CD print run ran out, it mm. ran out mm. and then the first and then cyberman the first season went off went out of print as well mm. so for a while you could 
for a while now, the only thing you could actually buy as Cyberman on CD was for releases two, three, and four. Uh, but also this year is the 50th anniversary of the Cyberman as well. Yeah, that's true. Tenth Planet, yeah. Ooh. I reckon, yeah, bloody good stories. So I look forward to the next. So we're scheduling that for some time later then. <laughs> so we have to get back to the Cyberman second series and all that too. Yes. Uh, at some point. So many releases, so little time. I know. <laughs> that it's should just... be, you know, that should be our motto on the podcast. So many releases, yes. so little time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what are we doing next time, Matthew? Well, next time we're, once again, I guess April is going to be spin-off month here at Stories in the Vortex, because our next episode, we're going to be looking at another non-Doctor Who release. We're going to be looking at Big Finish's recent reimagining of another icon of 60s popular television, The Prisoner, mm -hmm. which I know Robert and I are very much looking forward to because we're huge fans of the original series. We're very eager to hear what you're going to say about them. Mary. And Mary is yes. so much. So, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. And as always, we'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Uh, you can post on our website, storiesfromthevortex.blogspot.com, by leaving a comment on any of our episodes, as Rob Sherman did with our recent episode looking at his two stories about uh, Six Doctor Companion Frobisher. You can also send us in feedback at feedback.vortex at yahoo.com, or you can join our Facebook group, Stories from the Vortex. Something else you can do uh, is actually leave us a review on iTunes. If you're so inclined to subscribe to us via iTunes, feel free to write us a short little review on there. I've been reading in the past week that reviews and ratings on there can actually help us get more listeners. So help us find, uh, reach out to more of your fellow Big Finish listeners. Uh, but before we go, speaking of feedback, we have, once again, another piece of feedback from Mr. Jason Yates, who says, Guys, I was listening to your New Adventures of Bernie Summerfield podcast. Such a great podcast, and I am determined to immediately buy the box set. During it, Matthew talked about Creatures of Beauty, which I have on my big finished player, but not listened to. So I'm now with the Fifth Doctor and Nyssa. Thanks, guys. Best laid plans. <laughs> yes. So, I'm doing the uh, Benny box set soon. Cheers, Jason from London. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm a yes. Summerfield fan myself. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of her, and actually a piece of news we have not talked about, and which is actually quite Definitely. relevant, as, yes, thank you, Robert. <laughs> Uh, as a trailer for it has just been released today, uh, speaking of the new Adventures of Bernie Summerfield, there's a third box set of that coming out in August featuring David Warner's Unbound Third Doctor mm -hmm. and also going to be featuring Mark Gatiss's Master from uh, the Unbound Story Sympathy for the Devil that we reviewed a long time ago. And as I recall, we were all big fans of. So yes, can't wait yes. to that I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So am I. Yes. It should be very, very good. Yes, and a, so, a lot of people on the forum that I'm on uh, have commented that they can't wait for this as well. So, uh, well, looking forward to it. I have to admit, when I first heard the news of it, or I first heard rumors about it, because somebody got their issue of Doctor Who magazine early where the initial announcement was made, I was half convinced it was an early April Fool's joke. Or uh. something. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like because, a likely combination. 
it's it sounds like a very unlikely combination. And also, Big Finish have said for a while now that they weren't going to do any more unbounce, partly because they felt like they had done as much as they could with the format, and mm. also the fact that CDC had rather asked them not to cast anybody else as the Doctor, given that they like to try casting people as the Doctor mm. every now and then. Mm. <laughs> hmm. Well, so, I, I, I think cool. I think just for the fact that they're doing mm. going back to unbound series, uh, you know, after so long. You know, this is something to be afforded, I think. <laughs> What'll be the first Unbound release in any size, shape, or form since uh, Masters of War in 2008? Right? Mm. So, mm. You know, that's eight years ago already. <laughs> yeah. So, they're back, and it's about time. Yeah. Excellent. We'll be talking about that probably later in the year. So, until next time, we'll be talking about The Prisoner, Volume 1. That's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from them. So long. Thanks for all the fish. Take care. Am I addressing Professor Summerfield? Oh, it's a lazy Susan with you lot these days. Which one are you? Oh, you're fun. Which one am I? The wrong one. Professor Summerfield, I need you. Take my hand, quickly. Hey! Oh. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, The New Adventures of Bernie Summerfield. Professor Bernie Summerfield, archaeologist. The Doctor, intergalactic adventurer, saviour of planets, king of the universe, etc., etc. I have a card if you'd like one. Doctor, look around you. This universe is dying. Okay, so how long have we got? Until the stars grow cold, the planets crumble, and every last atom is torn apart. Around about tea time. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. All are welcome to the library. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Bottoms up. Yeah, whatever. You glow, Bernice. You shine. A woman who faces death with a glass in her hand and a smile on her lips. It was wonderful. A polite word to the pursuing fighters. You can shoot at me as much as you like, but I'm faster, determined, and in a contrary mood. So, I'm not going to let you stop me now! Typical doctor, never admitting you're wrong, even at the end of the universe. Big Finish. We love stories.